Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Whenever you're listening to the podcast today, welcome to the Hot Owl. My name is Brent Piotti, and with me this morning, I've got... Brian Carpenter. Brian Carpenter, how are you feeling this morning, man? I have had better days, let's just say that, but I'm feeling well, great. I, You know what's funny is, I, uh, like 10 minutes ago, I felt like total trash. I was mad at the world, uh, and then I got on here, and um, our guests made fun of my, my, my clothing. They made fun of my look. And uh, at the end of it, I'm smiling. So, uh, you know, uh, mission accomplished. I, I, you know, I've been dressed down, but in the meantime, I feel better as a result of it. So I'm, I'm on fire now, and I feel like I need to pay him back. So we've got an hour to do so. Absolutely. Well, let's get into it. So the goal of the show today is to educate you, the listener, on real-time streaming platforms, the applications surrounding it, and the architecture supporting it. And how those can enable big data analytics, machine learning, AI, all the kind of cool stuff that we're thinking about um, and, and, and how organizations are using it. So today we have two important folks from DataTorrent. We have Guy Churchward, the president and CEO of DataTorrent, and then Fu Huang, who is the co-founder and chief strategy officer at DataTorrent. Gentlemen, good morning. How are you doing today? Yeah, Very good, guys. Appreciate being on, actually. Kind of looking forward to it. And, and Absolutely. And- as a, as a point in clarification, uh, I didn't dress down Brian. It was more foo. So, um, so Brian, please, please, please be gentle with me. <laughs> I will, I'll do that. I'll make sure to be nice. I, so, you know, <laughs> we really do need to have video on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, they did comment, though, Brian, that they, they just don't like your Skype picture, but they love the Skype video. They said they love the beard and yeah. everything else about that. So at least, you know. Take that for what it's worth. Yeah, that's what I think. That's what made me feel better. I mean, I uh, I came into this going, I'm not even sure I'm going to make it through, and right now I'm fired up. Um, but you know, I'm a little annoyed because I want to talk about them and not me. So let's do that. All right, cool. So let's kick this off, guy. Why don't you introduce yourself? Kind of talk about your background and uh, why we should even care about what you have to tell us about today. No, I appreciate it. Obviously, uh, I just joined Data Torrent about six months ago. Uh, and I came off around a five-year stint in uh, EMC and then obviously Dell EMC, where I ran uh, primary storage and data protection. Uh, so large concern. Uh, obviously, I bumped into you guys there. Uh, had a fabulous time uh, and, and loved the team immensely. Uh, before I joined EMC, uh, I was the CEO of a company called Loglogic that was into security analytics uh, so kind of earlier in the big data uh, platform before that over a NetApp and then before that was a BA systems. And so I'm it, weirdly, I would say I'm a uh, technically savvy business executive that's obsessed by data. Um, you know, one of the things I was looking for, and I think we all have this when chapters kind of close, um, you know, once I got to the point of the uh, acquisition happening and uh, transitioning the organization across, it was really you know, seeing what's out there and trying to figure out uh, where my passion lies. And a lot of it was the obsession about data and data analytics and what you can do with data. And 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 I think notably in the last couple of years, all of the executive briefings that I did across in the Dell world, when I asked the number one thing that people were looking at, it was analytics. And, you know, um, Brent, we've, we've, we've been out of plenty of companies where you would attest to exactly that. Um, and so there's this kind of obsession to say, look, what you really need to do is you need better analytics of your business and you need faster analytics. So you have to shrink what I would call a do loop of basically when an event happens in your business to gain garnering insight to then being able to take action. Um, and 
you know, notably in the log logic days. So in other words, if I go back uh, six or seven years ago, I was running uh, with a platform that did about 130,000 events per second. You know, we had very large organizations, but it was kind of uh, handling data at rest. Um, in other words, you basically create a data store and then you poke the data store with a bunch of analytics and then you make decisions onto it. And the, and the sheer fact that you've actually dropped data onto something, disk, uh, creates latency and therefore you actually don't have that speed. And so um, by uh, accident and serendipity, I guess in some respects, I ended up having breakfast with Fu. Uh, and, it, you know, it's kind of like the, he had me at hello. Um, you know, just a, a brilliantly pure, um, small organization with fantastic uh, pedigree. Um, and, you know, once he started to describe what they did with the idea of basically saying, hey, look, why do you actually have to uh, run your analytics off data at rest? Why can't you run it in data on motion? So in other words, as the event happens, and then you really can garner insight and action uh, in the now, right? So um, it was funny. I had a meeting with a, a company yesterday and the guys basically said, oh, well, look, if you're using something like at rest or batch, or even if you've got a data store in place, a big data lake, and you're running off the back with SQL queries, you're sort of real time for people because people don't, you know, their, their brain process can't handle sub-second. But we're now garnering into an era where real time has to be at, at a computer speed. So really what you're doing is saying, I garner insight, I get actions, and I take actions sub-millisecond where people are not in that that mix and, and, and a beautiful example, uh, which is not so much on, on the industry that I describe now, but if you think about most people's um, cars, they have adaptive cruise control. And, you know, the interesting thing is if an adaptive cruise control worked on uh, either batch data or at rest data, you'd plow into the front of the car in front and, and you wouldn't have a car. You have to work in real time. And so then if you kind of think of all the cool use cases coming, which is things like, you know, DHL or, you know, FedEx being able to do drone drop of um, deliveries to you and then marrying that traffic with uh, um, uh, weather flow, you actually have to be real time. We've got customers that are doing cool things like uh, medication and dosage inside of hospitals in a real time process. And so, so like I said, I, I, I kind of serendipitously bumped into Fu. Uh, I, I really was excited to get him on um, you know, uh, the hot aisle instead of me because I, I, I'll just fumble around a lot. Uh, but it gives you an opportunity to sort of see, you know, what was really in his head, how they came to this point. And, you know, I'm kind of blessed to uh, have the opportunity to, 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 to be involved in this journey. And I do honestly believe it's going to um, foundationally change the way in which people uh, run analytics and it will have a fundamental impact on, on the market that you're in, which is basically around that storage and data management side uh, of just how, the, how to architect these solutions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for that intro, Guy. And you talked about breakfast with Fu, and I'm really interested to uh, get to know you, Fu. I, you know, I, I did some some Google Kung Fu, and I and I, <laughs> I learned a lot about you. And and uh, you know, like I said to Guy earlier, why should we care about about him? I know why we should care about you. Um, so, so first of all, introduce yourself and, and talk about your background. And, and I'm really curious, man. The, the Yahoo stuff is is probably what I'm what I'm most curious about. Sure. Uh, so my name is Fu Huang. I'm I'm a co-founder at DataTorn. We started this company uh, over four years ago, uh, and it really, uh, you know, I'm not a serial entrepreneur, but we we I came across a set of intersecting trends that we thought were were so uh, uh, we, we thought it set up for such an opportunity that I I couldn't resist and 
and uh, you know we sort of jumped over the cliff and and founded a company to try to to address it. Uh, as far as before that, uh, you're right. I, I've been in a number of startups, but probably the one that that is most um, uh, profound for me in my career was was at Yahoo, and I I was very lucky to be able to join Yahoo very early in the stage, uh, probably early 96. Uh, so I was about maybe the fifth engineer uh, to join Yahoo at the time. Um, and next thing I know, uh, 12 years later, I'm running an organization of close to 3,000 engineers uh, responsible for all of the, uh, you know, all of the websites uh, for Yahoo worldwide that everybody uses. So, you know, everything from mail to search to uh, finance, to sports, to news, to shopping, whatever. Um, and so that was a lot of fun. Uh, got to build uh, many amazing products and, 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 and really test out how uh, users use it and, and how to engage them, how to uh, you know, put value into them. But along with all that, on the back end side, um, had to deal with uh, a lot of data processing, right? So when you're talking about uh, hundreds of millions of users visiting Yahoo daily and, and you know, all of those page views, all of those clicks, all of those transactions. Uh, and, and, you know, we have to process all of that, slice and dice it, because actually, if, if, uh, if you know, you remember Yahoo's business is advertising. So it's all about slicing all of that data so that we can go to our advertisers and say, you know, these are the, the set of people, the type of people that you can target. And so, in some ways, you know, as early as, you know, 96, 97, we began this journey that now most people call big data. And, you know, and to me, uh, people talk a lot about big data as this great technology, big data is this great opportunity. Uh, but to us, big data is a problem. And it's a problem that we have to deal with. Uh, every day it was growing more and more, and we had to find ways to, to process it. And, and, you know, it was really interesting because in the beginning of that journey, we thought that our mission was really only customer facing, uh, I mean, uh, consumer facing. So it was all about websites. And we thought that we uh, should be able to use sort of existing technologies, you know, whether that's IBM or Oracle or whatever. We, we didn't even understand it at the time, but we thought all of the back end data processing, we would just be able to use existing tools and solutions. Uh, and then uh, only to find out that um, the kind of scale that we were looking at, uh, no, no such technologies or solutions existed and that we had to kind of make up uh, and, and, and develop our own solutions. Uh, and, and, you know, at that point, all we understood was these cheap commodity uh, servers that we had in racks that were used to serve, you know, front end web traffic. That was really the only kind of hardware that we understood. And we had to start to learn how to process massive, uh, you know, uh, loads of, of, of uh, analytics and, and data using that kind of hardware. And so we started to go down the path of figuring out how to do the, how to break problems into many, many smaller pieces uh, to, to do this processing. And long story short, that sort of lead up to kind of the kind of big data infrastructures that you see talked about today, whether that Hadoop uh, or whether that's, you know, kind of the whole NoSQL in memory uh, distributed stuff, you know, all of that kind of came from all of these internet companies uh, trying to figure out how to solve large problems. 
Yeah, very, very cool. So uh, you worked on practically everything, it looks like. And that's the way it reads on LinkedIn anyway, at, at Yahoo. Um, so another thing that came out of Yahoo, and you just brought this up, but the Hadoop, right, with Doug Cutting and others, how yeah. involved were you with Doug and team on kind of developing that from the Google file system and and uh, um, some of the other stuff? Well, I, so I guess I will have to admit that by – by that point in the process, I was pretty high level at Yahoo, so I was a lot more playing the role of executive sponsorship. Uh, but the tie there is really the following. So at, at, uh, I would say in, in early 2000 or so, we uh, at Yahoo, we made a decision to go head to head with Google on web search. Uh, so we ended up buying uh, companies like, you know, Ink to Me and Overture and AltaVista and, and so on. Um, and, and of course, we started to do some very serious uh, uh, web crawling and indexing using you know hundreds if not thousands of observers to do so and we started to have to process all of that data uh, and so the the beginning you know uh, already at that point data uh, you know data processing at yahoo was already on a massive scale but taking on the whole web search thing really you know overnight double uh, the workload that we have in terms of volumes and so on so I would say that you know getting into web search was sort of uh, that final stage that really led us into uh, massive, massive uh, data processing, and so that led uh, us to really continue to develop out our uh, parallel processing, distributed computing uh, infrastructures and services within the company, uh, and then uh, we uh, we uh, so the guy that was running at the time was Eric. Uh, Bolderschweizer, we call him Eric 14 because his last name had 14 characters and none of us can pronounce it. Uh, but anyways, uh, you know, he uh, Eric worked for me. He came from Ink to Me, uh, and we started him on, on on this big data processing project. And it was Eric 14 that came uh, to uh, to us to say, "Hey, Doug Cutting is uh, by himself trying to do something similar." And you know, big, big uh, Doug Cutting's a big name. I mean, he's done Lucene. He's done some pretty heavy, cool stuff all by himself. So we had a lot of respect for him. And we all thought that it might make sense to just get Doug in to talk to him and maybe invite him to come and join us and do the work together. And uh, that's what happened. Doug came and he liked what he saw and and he joined us. Very cool. Great story. So one last question before we dive into a bit more about the the, the industry and what's driving data torrent yeah. is the latest news around Yahoo, right? Just getting purchased for roughly four and a half billion dollars by Verizon. Just give us your quick thoughts on that and then we'll, we'll dig in. Well, uh, gee, what can I say? I've, I've left Yahoo now for uh, more than 10 years. I have such respect for uh, so many of the people there. As you know, you know, lots of uh, ex-Yahoo alumni have gone on to uh, do so many great things. Uh, you know, even the Hortonworks, the Cloudera, but even the LinkedIn's, the Microsoft, you know, you, you find sort of ex-Yahoo's everywhere. Um, as far as Yahoo itself, um, you know, you know, business is just business. Sometimes uh, you can grow real fast and, and uh, sometimes one, one false move here and there and uh, things don't go your way. Uh, I just think we Yahoo did have a chance to make a big impact in the world. Uh, I think that continues with uh, Verizon and AOL, and I wish them the best. Hey, um, Brent, I, I I got a question for Fu, which I'm going to line up for you for just some entertainment's sake oh, uh, before absolutely. you before you get into it. So the the, the question you want to ask him is, um, 
your understanding is there is another uh, founder called Amol who's in the organization. He came to Foo with the idea of where Data Torrent came from. And my understanding is they took that to have a conversation with Jerry Yang, which might have just started a few things. That, yes. Is that correct, Foo? Yes. Uh, so, um, you know, Amol, actually, what happened was Amol, uh, you know, is the current CTO and, and, and co founder of Data Torrent. Uh, uh, Amo and I go way back. We actually worked together uh, before Yahoo, and then I brought him over to Yahoo uh, in '98. Um, and Amo also spent about 12 years at Yahoo. Uh, the first eight years or so, he was in the engineering team for our Yahoo Finance um, product. Uh, and you know, I'm sure a lot of us uh, have used that product product uh, before. Uh, but he and his team built out a global streaming infrastructure to deliver real-time stock quotes to everybody around the world. Uh, and the cool thing about that is we actually take data from uh, the stock exchanges all over the world, raw you know, buy and sell transactions, to accumulate all that data up to paint the page for, for everybody as they're doing that stock quote. Uh, so there, you know, he sort of cut his teeth in how to really do scalable 24 by 7 streaming, uh, you know, big data infrastructure. Uh, and after that, he uh, then joined the Hadoop group, uh, where he led the development of Hadoop 2.0. So uh, what we're gonna about to go into in this next hour in terms of talking about data torrent, uh, little does Amal know it, but his entire career was pretty much set up <laughs> to go and do something like data torrent, given the, the background that he had. But, uh, but you're right, uh, so he called me up after uh, he decided that he was going to leave Yahoo. And, uh, you're, you're at this point sitting back with your feet up just doing that's nothing, right. right? Yes, at this point I was just uh, helping a number of different startups uh, um, and, and doing some nonprofit. But, uh, but I'm all called, for, some, for whatever reason, I think you know, I was sort of, sort of one of those uh, godfather mafia guys. So everybody who, who every engineer who was going to leave Yahoo somehow called me up and asked me what was going on and where should they go work and what's the next gig and so on. Uh, so I'm always the same. And so we, uh, you know, we had coffee and, and I was just uh, catching up with Amal on what he was doing the last couple of years because I wasn't there. And um, it was actually based on what he talked about and based on some of the work that I was doing, helping a number of different startups, that the idea of uh, doing analytics, uh, basing it on some components of Hadoop, but doing it in memory, in real time, uh, as, uh, as data was coming in, came about. Um, you know, so that, that, there's a longer story there, but uh, that was a story. And anyway, long story short, uh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really intending to somehow start a company. I was really in the frame of mind of helping Amal uh, to, to start this thing because he seemed pretty enthusiastic about it. And I, um, I thought I would uh, go help see him. Your, go yeah. see your That's right. That's right. I, I would help him by telling him, you know, if you want, I can, uh, you know, uh, let's go talk to Jerry. Because, of course, Jerry uh, had just uh, came off being CEO at Yahoo. And, and so he was sort of the guy that, that, that you know ultimately signed a check for all of the investment in the the data centers for all of the Hadoop work, and and so from a business model standpoint and where Hadoop was going, I thought Jerry might have some thoughts about that. And there were and as Amal was going to get into this space, 
it would be good to kind of get his take. Well, long story short, we went and talked to Jerry a bit. And, um, and at the end of the hour, Jerry says, I'm funding this thing. And, uh, and uh, here's the money and, uh, and, you know, here's the terms. And, uh, and we never had to talk to anyone else. That was it. And, 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 and I'm right in saying that that was because now Jerry basically runs a, a VC fund called Murado. Uh, no, he uh, his his firm is called AME um, um, AME something AME Cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, the A, the M, the E are uh, uh, names of his uh, daughters and and wife. But no, he that wasn't the case. Uh, actually, we were his very first investment, uh, just coming off of Yahoo, and then he formed AME mm. uh, because he kind of got into the whole investment thing, maybe because of us. So that's the story. So there you go, Brent. You got a little bit of history there. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, it's it's just like guy to go ahead and steal the question right after the one you were going to ask, right, Brent? Well, <laughs> he is a yeah. bit of a windbag. Yeah, good. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as we we'll, we'll get guy, I know you want a chance to talk. So let's talk industry, right? Let's talk CEO things, and uh, you know, the reason you're brought on, and you know, Brent, as you know, as Brent does his amazing research and things like that. We see things like IDC saying the analytics industry is going to be something like 150 billion. Honestly, that feels light. Um, maybe that's just from IDC's context. And then by 2020, it's going to be something like 210 billion, right? So, um, and you know, you mentioned everybody you talk to, you can go in and talk about infrastructure or whatever else it may be. The conversation eventually leads to analytics and insights and what the business needs. And so, why is this so? Why is analytics so hot? And then specifically, what does real time have to do with this, right? What's the impact here, and and why is this a need in the market? Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, everybody who's listening to this or everybody we've talked to has been in one of those meetings where there's been a PowerPoint slide or a deck that's given to them. And, and they've they've asked the question, which is in their head is if I knew this earlier, I would have made a decision on it. Right. So and, and, and I can I can categorically tell you that probably happens to most execs on a weekly basis. Um, and so everybody already does analytics, but the frustration is, is, oh, shit, if I'd just known that a little bit sooner, I would have made blah decision. And I think that, you know, if you look at things like uh, the futures exchange FX trading market, uh, stock market, it's basically the fastest to get to know the, dot, the, the, the knowledge and as deep a knowledge as possible, the quicker they can make a decision. Uh, if you look at one of the, uh, the press, the majority of press talks around um, security breaches. And security breaches are basically because someone uh, managed to get in without someone else finding out about it. And then when they found out about it, they scrabble around like crazy with analytics to figure out what the hell they did to their business. And so, in essence, every walk of life, in fact, even back to BEA systems, I remember sitting down with a, a colonel from the American army who said to me, the next world war won't be fought on the battlefield. It will be fought in the data center. And so it's so fundamental to every single part of our business that, um, that understanding your business, getting transparency, getting analytics to make, uh, make smart decisions is good. And the more data you can get in as fast as you can and the more accurate you can make the decisions, the more likely you can win. And that means either making more money or saving money. In, and that's really the, the basis of a business and a P&L. 
And so, so the, there is just a, a complete visceral obsession to that. Um, what frustrated me back in the EM, uh, not EMC days, but prior the log logic days is I used to have two parts of a business. I used to do what we call log management. So in other words, collecting all syslog information and then security event management. And, and basically the math worked roughly like this, which is I had a system that used to do 130,000 events per second. So I could pretty much collect everything that the business was seeing, but I couldn't ask it any questions. As soon as I asked it a question, in other words, I did anomaly detection or I did rules or I did inspection, that process speed would go down to something like eight to 12,000 events per second. So the difference between a log ingest rate where I collect everything and a security uh, use case is with logs, you collect as much as you possibly can. With security, you collect as little as possible that will give you the most accurate picture that you could possibly get because basically time and latency is more important than perfect accuracy because you can't collect the data. So in other words, you always had one of these juxtapositions that said, collect it all but ask no questions or collect a small amount and ask questions. And, and, and that's why you get security breaches because the reality is they find different ways to you know, get through the system of stuff that you're not looking at. And so, so you sort of think to yourself from a business executive standpoint and you look at EMC, you know, where I've just come off a, a stint from, you know, even knowing um, more about from a, a real-time dashboarding of, you know, what we're going to sell to what customers to make sure that we actually build the right systems to buy the right parts in, that we don't have things sitting in the warehouse and we make sure that we ship the right gear, the, the better. And just having absolute 100% real-time dashboards across it. And, and, you know, Brian, one of the most brilliant use cases that we're coming across right now uh, is, I mean, you've heard the term customer 360 and it's in that arena, but it's basically every organization tracks something that they see as a critical asset. And what they want to know is all the history on that asset. And then basically it continuously being topped up with real time data that any, any given time they can make a decision and they have a full historic view and then right up to that second. So for instance, there's a crazy application out right now that allows you to go and view a house at an open house. And if you like it, you can download an iPad app or an iPhone app. You can apply for a mortgage. They will grant you the mortgage and you can buy the house on the spot. And the only way they're going to be able to do that is if they have actually real time data, because any latency and latency could be huge um, and it disables them from understanding exactly where they were. I mean, I might have $5,000 in my bank today, but but overnight, I might have gone down to Vegas, blown it all, and be poor tomorrow. And so they really need to know to that very second. So everybody's trying to track basically what they see as that 360, whether it's a person, uh, whether it's an oil rig, the oil and gas industry, there's 270 sensors on oil rig, and tracking basically the sensors they have, both check-in, check-out, plus weather and plus pipeline, and then expanding that to say – you know, I want to be able to look at all the, all the rigs across on the North Sea and then applying that to the economics of the market space becomes, you know, basically super critical. So, so, the, so the point is uh, any business to be successful has to basically have analytics. The faster that they can uh, or the, the, the gap between an event happening in their business and the analytics they're getting is really whether they're going to win or lose. And, and Fu basically, uh, when I first met him, turned around and said, you know, what every company needs to do is to have the analytics running at the same speed as their business. If your analytics run slower than your business, then you have risk of losing. And that doesn't matter whether it's on the security side or basically from a competitive standpoint, but you need to let your smarts of your business uh, catch up. And, and again, 
up until now where you've got compute network storage running at the pace it is it was impossible right so you're always behind so technology was the long pole now technology isn't we have use cases today where we have customers in production that are running in excess of a billion events per second so now it's all down to people looking at their current architectures and saying am i fine sitting in a world of classic etl where I extract, transform, load into a data store, and then I just poke old data. And that might be in a Splunk model or an ArcSight model or a QRadar model or a Spark model. But in reality, if your competitor is running real time and you're running in a batch mode or an at rest mode, by default, you're never gonna be as fast as them and therefore you're gonna lose. So, so what I saw is, you know, and again, I, I'm sorry to compare it to the storage industry, but if you think last year, where you saw that complete move from disk to flash. In other words, it was kind of like, it was gonna happen, it's gonna happen, gonna happen, and then suddenly 2016 was boom. It was the year. Exactly that same phenomenal change will happen uh, next year in 2018, where people will basically, their applications will go from primarily running on batch data to be primarily running on uh, real-time data because there is no technology uh, technological hurdles to me this is just basically businesses waking up and realizing if i'm not the first fastest to the pool uh, i'm going to starve yeah that that's a that's a great insight i'm actually curious to see <clears throat> how that continues to evolve we, we keep hearing more and more about in-memory processing and things like that which we'll, we'll dive into one question i had that you, you brought up guy was um you know Analytics is being applied uh, uh, to either make money or save money. Where are you actually seeing in, in you know, most of the use cases being applied? Is it for organizations to actually save money or to make money? Actually, uh, it, it, it truly is both, Brent. I mean, on uh, there are many, many use cases uh, to, to help uh, companies save money uh, and there are many, many use cases to help people make money. Uh, let, let's go into that for a bit, right? When we started DataTorrent, you know, the the specific use case that drove us, uh, uh, not surprisingly, was actually an ad tech uh, use case. I was helping uh, uh, one of uh, the, a startup that was uh, being run by one of my direct reports before, and he was in the uh, he started a company in the ad tech space where he was, you know, helping advertisers to to manage their campaigns, and uh, in the advertiser space now things have actually changed dramatically since I was running uh, Yahoo, uh, the ad stuff uh, back at Yahoo. Now, um, you know, as an example, uh, let's say you, uh, you know, I send you a link to a CNN article and you click on that link. Probably in about 300 milliseconds, that page shows up on your browser, but you wouldn't believe how many things happen in that 300 milliseconds. So let's say that page shows up and it renders, say, five ads on that page. Well, what's happening to, to render those five ads? It used to be way, way back, you know, CNN had a deal with, you know, say someone like Yahoo, and, and it would buy the number of impressions. So, you know, as, uh, you know, as, as we show up, uh, you know, five ads, we go to the advertisers like a Nike or something, and we just collect the money, you know, every million views that we show their ads. Nowadays, in advertising, all of that is done dynamically. In other words, when, 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 when you click on that link, 
and, and CNN server is about to send you that page, uh, it goes to its uh, technical partner um, and that technical partner sends to an ad exchange uh, server and that ex ad exchange server then sends out a bid request to dozens, maybe even, you know, a, a hundred uh, endpoints that, 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 that's called demand side platform to say, hey, I have a piece of inventory. It's a square ad. It's above the fold. It's on CNN, on this topic, on this web page. The cookies for the user is this and that. How much would you want to bid to buy this inventory right now? And so this bid request is sent out to you know 25 to 50 endpoints. And then they, on their side, do a ton of calculations as well, which is, hey, here's this inventory. They look at their, their advertiser. Uh, they might have hundreds of advertisers, each one of them having hundreds of, of ad images. And they have to make a split second decision on which advertiser and which uh, ad is the best fit for this inventory and make a determination on how much they would bid to buy this ad space. And so all those bid calculations get done and a whole bunch of them sends back a, 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 a bid to say, you know, I want to buy it for this much, I want to buy it for that much. The ad exchange then makes a decision on picking the winner and then it sends back a redirect and then that ad shows up on your page. So five ads shows up on every click on an article that you read and and there are literally millions of calculations that happen on each of those endpoints so imagine the amount of calculation that was going on there well it goes worse than that right so basically if then the person clicks on the ad then if they did or they didn't that then goes back to the ad exchange and then back to the people who were bid in the first place that's right and then they can dynamically change the price that they were going to do that's right so it's crazy and so what was happening in in that uh, in that case was uh, this company I was helping, uh, they would collect all of these, you know, bid requests and and their result and their answers and 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 so on, and they would run Hadoop overnight so that the next day they can figure out uh, across all of the buys that they did across the whole internet what was working and what was not in the sense of what what got clicked on and what didn't get clicked on. Because sometimes in, 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 in these companies, the business model is that they have to spend their own money to bid and buy these impressions, but they only get paid by the advertisers on a click. And so from a business model standpoint, they actually have to get, they have to make more money from the clicks than they have to pay out uh, in buying the impression. So what that means is that they have to uh, optimize their campaign to make sure they buy the right things and not buy the right things and, and for the right price. And so what was happening is, uh, but if, if they have that result the next day, they get to look at all the mistakes they made in terms of buying all this stuff that never got a click and, or, you know, and, and, and so on. And what they came to the realization is if they had the understanding of the click-through rate of each of these combinations much, much earlier, they would make a better prediction about whether to buy and how much to buy it for. Uh, but they didn't have that technology. Um, and so nowadays, uh, you know, a lot of these ad systems have to calculate all of this uh, performance continuously so that they can make the right 
business call uh, in terms of buying and bidding. So now, now it's real time. Now they make decisions real time. That's right. And we've got a couple of biggies that are, are in production on this. Right? That's right. We we have you know yeah some of some of the largest uh, companies doing ads uh, on our platform. Uh, and then you know so we started with that and we thought maybe the whole the whole industry you know the whole ad tech industry is the is the industry for this technology. And then we find out whoever we talk to. Uh, this thing resonated. In other words, financial services, telecommunications company, IoT companies, uh, you know, all all across uh, retail, they all say, yes, I need to understand what's going on with my business, with my users, with my services, with my assets, right to the last second so that I can make the right decision. Every one of them. And so, and so you've you've gotten into the why, like all these problems that are being solved, um, yep. you know. But I, we want to get into the how, right? Like we really, you're starting to get into how do we, how, how does Data Torrent fit into this conversation, and what problems are you solving? Um, does that come into this? Uh, you mentioned earlier these intersecting trends. Um, yeah. Are these intersecting trends that you were seeing kind of the problem that Data Torrent is solving? And if so, what are they? And if not. Let's just get into what problem is is data torrent solving specifically, and then how are you doing it? Like, what what are you, what how does this exactly work? Yeah, so let's let's start with by those intersecting trends, right? Uh, so so of course one trend was that every business needed to do analytics to understand what was happening uh, to their business and their users. Second, um, that the 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 insight that they get from the analytics they were getting better and better insight if they were processing more and more data. So that's where the volume or the big data play came in. And so there was just more and more volume being consumed. And then lastly, as they were getting good insight, they wanted sooner and sooner. And that's where sort of the real-time insight and action came in. At the, at the, on the other end, you now have uh, the trend that memory was getting cheaper. Uh, and so it was possible to have, you know, on a server, uh, maybe a quarter, even to a half of a terabyte of memory now. And then finally, you have software technologies like Hadoop that could actually be used to take advantage of commodity, you know, clusters of commodity hardware and break up very large problems into, uh, you know, parallel pro processing. So all of those things came together. And and then, uh, Fu, just as you, before you then keep spilling past this, also, yeah. um, Brian, from intersecting trends, was a couple of things, which is, you know, I, I don't want to get stuck with proprietary technology. That's right. So most software developers in this market were looking at, how do I do this as open source? Uh, the issue with open source is, uh, you know, it basically is never finished. There's no manual, there's no description, and I don't want to be left with a huge professional services bill. And in general, if you look at the market space around Hadoop, probably 70 plus percent of the of the applications that are trying to go into production fail. Yeah. So you have this weird thing that says, I need my analytics. I need huge scale. I know the tools that I need to do it are based roughly around open source. Um, but at the end of the day, I can't get the bloody stuff to stand up and I actually can't hire skilled enough people to do it. So, you know, that was really uh, if you put the impetus, then data torrent then gets formed and says, how do we take what we knew at Yahoo around Hadoop and Yarn? How do we apply that to the analytics market and provide them 7 by 24 fault tolerant, easy to use technology um, that builds around this ideal real-time stream-based analytics? And and that's why they set forth to create the um, uh, Apex engine. So just no, that's perfect. That was exactly right. And then, what do we do then? 
So, what, so tell them what do we do? So, uh, so let's get excited. Yes. Yeah, so and I'm not talking about that horrible time. We're yet. excited. Let's go. So, uh, so you know, so data torrent uh, is in the space of developing uh, real-time analytics applications to help uh, companies solve their insight and action problem. Uh, we t in order to get there, we needed to build out first this uh, stream processing uh, engine. Uh, that can truly withstand 24 by 7, no data loss, massive uh, uh, data processing. So, so that was that was basically, guys, that was the big chunk of code that was missing, which was the aha. In other words, use Yahoo, use Yarn for the distribution, but basically need stream processing engine. And so the, the first year or so of the organization was to get a bunch of uh, uh, very smart engineering fraternity together to basically um, produce that huge chunk of code that was needed. That's right. And, and you know, the, 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 the thinking process was after that, we can start to work with these very large companies and help them build their custom uh, processing pipeline uh, to, to get to insight and action. And, and when we talk about that, Brent, we usually we talk about that in about in five stages. You first have ingestion, which means, you know, getting and ingesting data from all these different data sources. Uh, they can be streaming events, they can be files, they can be, you know, all kinds of things uh, coming into Kafka, coming into databases, coming into files, all sources. The next stage, of course, is transformation. So you could be doing, you know, uh, data cleansing, filtering, enrichment, deduping, uh, encryption, all kinds of things to kind of massage the data to what you need. And then the next stage is really analytics. You're you're calculating all kinds of, of, of aggregation, dimensional computing, slicing and dicing, and so on. Um, then the next stage is really sort of your decision and, and anomaly detection uh, phase, or this, uh, you know, and that's where you might have rules engines, complex event processing, uh, running machine learning scoring models uh, from all the stuff that you've done. And then you finally get to the point where you have that insight and you can take action. So action can be triggering you know, uh, uh, calling APIs, triggering all kinds of things, uh, sending out email alerts, uh, you know, all kinds of things. Finally, you then can have visualization. Uh, you have a dashboard so that you can really show um, the business, uh, what's going on with the business, and as well as you can then land uh, whatever uh, results along the way of the pipeline to data address in case you w still want to do something after. And, and, and what's nice about it is all of that data that you land that will, will be historical data that actually gets fed back at the transformation and analytics phase so that you can actually compare what's coming in at present with historical uh, to do, you know, whatever anomaly detection and whatever. And, so and that's so sort of the basic infrastructure that runs that kind of logic on top. So, so then if you, if you get very, very acutely accurate on what data torrent does as opposed to you know now we've got all the market and the pieces and components um you look at it and say we've got two offerings so we've got one which basically would be seen as a premium or enhanced service offering so that means if somebody takes the apache apex which is basically the streaming engine they build their application around that and then they use our uh, management tools yeah. uh, then from a subscription basis we will support them on our platform or our distribution of that and allow them to basically run and rock and roll. Uh, one of the things that Amol brought to the business and Fu did that he, he kind of mentioned is, 
you know, for technology's sake, technology's cool, but you've got to keep this stuff up and running. Lights out, 7 by 24 And the company's edicts was really around time to value, how fast you can get to an application, and total cost of ownership, how cheap it is to run it past that point. And so we've got a, a suite of um, tools uh, for production users called RTS. And, and in essence, if they use our distribution and they want our support services and layer in RTS, we will service them. What we also do, and that's, by the way, on a software subscription model. So, um, you know, the, I, I firmly believe the market's moving to rental hardware, rental software, rental services, rental data centers, because they want ultimate flexibility. So that's one. Second thing is we see um, pipelines of operators and an operator is a, it could be a machine learning code or it could be the ingest or the enrichment piece. But basically there's repeatable codes where, you know, companies go, well, I want to build this. And if you think about it, if you create then a hardened pipeline and call that then an application, we can then provide that to our customers. So we actually provide on a subscription basis uh, applications. So the more you will see from us will be around us delivering um, real-time analytics applications um, based on open source. Uh, and in fact, it's it's interesting that we chat today. Uh, and, I, and again, I don't know if the pod's going to be out today or tomorrow, but today we actually send a mailer out um, when we have a, a specific application which will handle um, omni-channel uh, uh, payment fraud prevention. Um, and uh, and we're actually going to announce that today as something for people to get more information on. So watch out for that. Um, but that product will be on market uh, in the next couple of months. And and it's 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 profound in in what it will deliver. Uh, and and I, I just kind of my quick information on this is um, everybody provides a thing called a, a, a you know credit card fraud um, a detection. So in other words, I run anomaly detection against my data. It goes into a day like I figure out someone might be doing something weird. I've got a, a, a sliding window that I'm watching for. It has state. And then the next time I see a transaction that's in a weird place or on a weird stuff, I can then say, okay, I've detected this fraud. And now I have to go through this whole egregious process of stopping the cards and figuring out what happens and chasing after the people. But because the latency of basically ETL is dropping into a day lake and then looking at afterwards, you can never stop it. You can just detect it's happened. If you can take the insight and actions and do it in memory and you can do it in a fault tolerant way with state, then what you can do is you, you see one and you keep track of what happened on the on the transactions. And when the second one is in process, you can stop it. So in other words, we're actually bringing to market the first about what I can figure in any shape or form, um, omni-channel payment fraud prevention app. So post-land is detection, pre-land is prevention. And so that's kind of what we're doing. So in other words, got an open source base, helping customers do that, provide a premium level of service and allow them to use our operational tools. And we're also going to start building out uh, an application factory of absolute use cases so we can get that outcome-based selling that you guys are so used to understanding what customers want. People don't want toolkits and they don't want dreams. They actually want results and we're going to provide them uh, outcome-based sell, um, sell applications. So you've mentioned a lot of this architecture and, you know, in our research, uh, like one of the things that shows up on your site is, uh, you know, the, you're the creators of Apex. Uh, and so, you know, is, uh, explain Apex uh, and and then are 
was it Apex was created as an open source project and you've become the uh, kind of enterprise sustainable version of that, not unlike a lot of open source projects? Or was this Data Torrent became and then op you open sourced port parts of it and that became Apex? So can kind of explain that relationship. That's that's a great question. Uh, and, and it's the latter, which is that we, we first built the streaming engine uh, very much focused on enterprise grade, 24 by seven, fault tolerance, and so on. Um, and then we open source that engine as Apache Apex uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, uh, we, you know, as, as you can see from our background, we, we actually are, uh, are pretty uh, open source savvy. <laughs> We've been doing open source for a long time and we had a couple of learnings from that actually, which is this, if you open source the project very early, um, you you get a spaghetti. You get all these people with different voices coming in, trying to do this, trying to do that, and you don't have uh, direction and and focus on the execution. This is your learning back from yes. whether it's Yarn or that, that, That's stuff. right. Uh, whereas if you know exactly what you can build and you have the expertise to build it and you want to produce something very solid, then you actually do that first. And then you open source because the next phase for that project where people can sit on top and innovate works great when that's open. Um, you know, in, in many other open source projects, especially many that are kind of start by university project, they, they don't have the resources nor the experience. So they actually want the community to come in and help them build this technology for us. We, we saw it as the opposite. We felt like we had the experience, the expertise. We wanted to build out the engine, and then we can get, you know, the, the open source community to kind of add in, you know, uh, to help integrate it with other things and, and, and to build stuff on top. Yeah, and, and just to give you an idea, the um, uh, Apache Apex was basically, uh, became a top-level project about a year and a few months ago. Correct. Uh, it's seen as the fastest-growing Apache project, uh, bar none. Yeah, uh, and we're we're knocking on the door now. Seventy thousand subscribers, and by the end of the year, we'll be over a hundred thousand subscribers. So it's it's got a good follow uh, as the uh, from a stream-based engine standpoint. So yeah, we're the creators of it. I kind of look at it as a as a gift uh, that we gave into the industry, and also it's our tax that we'll continue to support and innovate around. But but our primary job is to keep that open, use people, uh, allow people to catalyze that. But I think it was critical to be open source because a lot of the other components that build up the big data pipeline and the analytics pipeline are actually open source. And if you're not, you don't get a play. That's right. Uh, and our job is to look at the best and the brightest technologies out there, wrap them into these pipelines and then provide them as a as a supported uh, application to our client base. That's right. Very, yeah, very cool. So um, speaking of open source projects, and, and one of the things that you layered onto the, the Apex engine was... Um, and what I read was it's called DT Assemble. It's um, kind of a, a GUI, if you will, for for building flows. And I and I and I looked at that, and my initial reaction was, first of all, cool. Um, but to me, it, it resembled kind of NiFi in it in a way. So <laughs> talk to us about about that, and you know how it is or is not NiFi. Yeah. Uh, so so as Guy mentioned earlier, uh, you know we we built a number of tools to go along with Apache Apex, uh, but it is, but the tools are proprietary to help customers uh, build the application with the focus on time to market and total cost of ownership. So as we were working with these large companies, we learned a lot about how 
to best provide ease of use uh, for the people uh, to use the streaming engine. And it comes out, we actually developed four different tools uh, because each of them address different constituencies in an enterprise that would use uh, our uh, streaming engine. First is a set of tools for developers. Uh, inside an enterprise, you may have developers that are very, you know, uh, very, um, uh, you know, they're, they're Java geeks. They can really write code and all that, which is good. But you also have, you know, sort of engineers sort of in the business units, uh, especially when you have components that are already written, that they can just put that pipeline together by a drag and drop tool. So DT Assemble is nothing more than really a visual GUI to allow you to drag and drop and connect existing what we call operators. Think of it as sort of prepackaged logic to either do ingestion or transformation and so on um, to, to do the processing. Next, we have uh, specific tools for the ops guys. Uh, don't forget this stuff has to, unlike batch where it just sort of can sit in a corner and, and, and you have a begin and end and run some batch job, this thing runs 24 by seven sub-second latency and never lose data. So there's a lot of ops component in this. And so people want to have a management tool for them to look at and understand what's going on with the applications, with the clusters, memory usage, CPU, you know, latency, all those things to help them manage and debug uh, any production uh, uh, issues. And then finally, we have DT Dashboard, which is really uh, addressed for the business folks, which is actually that uh, that dashboard, if you will, to allow business folks to see the insight and the results uh, from the, 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 the processing itself to look at what's going on with their business, their customers, and so on. And, and there's, an, there's an adjunct on the DTSAMBLE that you brought up, um, uh, guys, is, you know, uh, there's three types of sort of developers that use these sort of products. Um, and, and again, I think it's really important to think about the trends you know, large organizations have a huge swath of engineers, large enterprises have a huge swath of engineers and they have the Yoda sitting in the corner that can basically hard code. Um, and, uh, you know, in general, they're the people that can take use of something like an open source projects. Then at the uh, at the very base end, you've got maybe a, um, a, you know, intern consultant that you could bring in on an IT group uh, into, um, you know, use something like a Tableau. Uh, which is basically very low uh, impact, but some visualization, but there's not a lot of code. And then right in the middle sits the, you know, general uh, uh, analyst. So in other words, an analyst who uh, I'm quite a handy or a super SC or I'm an engineer, you know, and I think part of what we also want to do is to make sure that we can take technology that is in general only available to the Yodas that sit inside of large scale organizations and bring it into the masses. And so that was also why we, we were looking at things like Assemble. Um, one of our um, investors and one of our customers is actually GE, um, and GE have a platform called Predix that we're built into, and uh, DT Assemble was uh, was something that they were looking very keenly at. And there's also a financial services house that we work with closely, because what they want to do is to use the platform and say, hey, we want to be able to, we'll create our own operators and our own pieces of open source and microdata services, and then allow them to assemble it into applications, because the the, the other trend is that people don't see applications now lasting for you know 10 years or five years they see more like firefly applications that are going to come up give specific need for a year and then basically get taken down again 
And so the idea is to say, how do you take reusable services components out of that and then create the next application as quickly as possible to get the value as quick as you can? Because it's not just about how fast your app is. It's also how fast you can get it into production. And so that's where Assemble kind of came in. But it's it's very much in tune with that that kind of area of, you know, sort of bringing it to the masses. Yep. It's, and then to go ahead to sort of finish uh, the, the last part of your question about NiFi. Uh, so, so NiFi is really a complementary technology. Um, NiFi is really kind of at the edge of the data sources. So they do a lot. Their their main focus is about collecting the data from the different sources and sending it somewhere. Now, it just happens that the way you want to describe that is also something that you can drag and drop and build a flow graph around. Um, so that that there's similarity there in the sense that we both have a drag and drop flow graph, but but from an actual usage, they're there for collecting data. They will actually send that data to us uh, as so, part of our ingestion. So similar model, but in a different part of the pipeline. That's right. And you know, they do really the outer edge collecting of data and sending it back to some central place. We're that central place that will start to ingest and actually do data in analytics. And so architecture, this is where I kind of really want to understand that there's a lot of, uh, you have all these connectors, right? And I won't go through all yeah. of them, but like uh, Hadoop or HDFS, Kafka, Flume, obviously you said NiFi just now, uh, right. JDBC, Hive, Cassandra, Mondo. It's like yeah. across the board, like if it's like the who's who of data storage and, you know, different formats. You're talking about real time and this requires an infrastructure and a performance um, that not all of, you know, like not every architecture is ready to do. Um, if I threw this down on a hundred, um, you know, a hundred spindles of the like the ten, the ten terabyte drives from Hitachi, uh, they're fantastic for keeping it long term. But that's not really the kind of infrastructure I think of when I think of real time. Correct. So, is there a modern architecture? Are there certain types of of storages that this makes sense in? Is this, like you said, is this all commodity? Uh, you know, you know, servers with flash in the front end. What what are you expecting customers to deliver these? Um, storage systems on uh, underneath. What's that infrastructure look like? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is kind of like the throwback Thursday, right? Back to back to the the, the good old days of working in uh, EMC and looking at technology moving forward. Um, I, I think that you know the only thing that I would flag is from a from a generic way that people look at storage, they look at it and saying, look, let's jump onto the latest hardware. In other words, I went from you know uh, spinning disk to flash, and then I'm looking at NVMe now. And there's also an obsession to make sure that you can go uh, deeper and deeper. So in other words, things like big data lakes and, and cold storage. Um, my overriding sense is the following thing, which is the storage is going to change fundamentally um, to support these use cases. Because if these become the absolute norm, then what you need is you need more compute and less store. right? Because in essence, if you kind of think about it right now, if the standard way of doing things is 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 poking data at rest and you're basically storing as much crap as you need on the system, but you're not sure whether it should be there or not, you need a huge data lake and you need to make sure that it's cheap and deep because you know a lot of what you're storing is redundant. If you move the compute to the left-hand side of the store, in other words, before you drop the data onto the data lake, you actually do the analytics, you do the actions, but you have enough compute where you can look at the data and figure out whether I should put it there anyway, you'll in essence dedupe the data and not drop it down. Yeah. And so the the collective wisdom says that you're going to end up with a, a couple of tiers. The first tier is going to be very high performance compute with a small amount of you know in-memory storage. So in other words, flash NVMe, fantastic. And some of the stuff that you know 
uh, Dell EMC's got going out and other vendors have got, which is going to fit in really beautifully. And then you'll need the cheap and deep. But I think if, if, if storage vendors focus on literally just changing their, their traditional model medium to the new uh, trendy uh, drives. So in other words, all I'm going to do is I'm going to take the existing architecture and I'm going to go from, you know, spinning disk to uh, flash to NVMe and I'm going to focus on dollar per gigabyte. They're going to miss the market big time because in reality, it's going to then bifurcate into this because you have to be much more sensitive to what the application needs are. And ours is going to be a lot of compute, less storage, but I need the storage is available in essence in memory. And then you're going to have this push out. And that could be to, you know, a data lake or it could very well be out into the cloud. So, so I do think that it, it's going to have a, uh, a big fundamental impact for sure. And that's definitely the way we're looking at it. And are you, are you partnering with certain types of, um, uh, I'd say infrastructure specialists, or do you kind of just say, Hey, this is what we expect and let the, let the customer do that. Or how are you guiding this kind of design? Because it, it feels like it has expectations and not everybody's quite ready to do it just yet. I mean, obviously GE probably was, but, uh, you know, is the, is the middle market customer that sees this going to have that same kind of, uh, investment already having been done? Yeah. And, and, and that's a great question. And, and I think the answer is going to be pretty obvious for you, which is, you know, I was bought in, um, you know, back in March to scale the business out up until there, we had basically, you know, a dozen very, very large customers. And I'm talking, you know, Fortune 50, Fortune 10 style companies. Each one of those probably already had a Hadoop business. They understood how to do it and they have a platform and a methodology. When we bring this out into a larger scale, I do want to make recommendations on the hardware platforms. And so, you know, I've started to look around now to say, okay, what hardware architectures would make sense? Let's then test it and then come out with blueprint architecture recommendations. So we won't sell it, um, but we do need to make sure that we're giving people guidance because they want to understand how it works versus the, the, the fundamentals. So up till now, I've not had an issue. Moving forward, I think that we're going to be into one of those challenge situations. And I, and I do think that this is such cool use case because, you know, you're, you're clubbing in real-time analytics, stream-based data, data in motion, event-driven business, IoT. You know, it's like acronymity when it comes down to buzzwords, but it's exactly where people need to be. So, you know, if you think of that classic thing of saying, look, you want to solve the problems that they have, people have today, and it's easy to use, total cost of ownership, time to value, but you also want to make sure that you're hitting the very sassy and sexy use cases, and this is absolutely, you know, on its bailiwick. Think about autonomic cars and as i said you know drone delivery it, it, it doesn't matter but but I, I i do think that there's a there's a really good trend happening here um and it's gonna it's gonna hit people like a freight train you know if they believe that uh, the current models are sufficient fair enough cool so um one of the questions that i had was you know we talked about this being um a process within yarn and, and Yarn is associated with Hadoop. So um, do do you have to have Hadoop to use Apex and Data Torrent, um, or are they separated? And, and what what is your vision for the future? I think that's a great question. So you're right. You know, Hadoop now is synonymous, especially with the Hadoop distros, with this collection of you know 30 to 40 different pieces of software that comes with that distro, right? Uh, so. But in reality, uh, DataTorrent and Apache Apex really just sit on top of Yarn. So Yarn is really the only uh, piece of software in that Hadoop distro that we 
rely on. And, and, and of course, we use it as a resource manager to go down to get, you know, whatever new container uh, processing unit to come up for us to do our, to do our compute. Um, we have a, a the, the only other piece we have a slight uh, need for is, is, um, is some sort of storage uh, because we, we store whenever we checkpoint state, uh, whenever uh, we have a buffer overflow from our events, we do need to go to disk to save. We have an API to write that to HCFS, but, but that API can be any sort of storage. So those are really the only two requirements that we have on, on the Hadoop play. Okay, and, and with the with regard to uh, you know Hortonworks and Clouderas and, and those types of folks, yeah, um, what's the what's the relationship like there? I mean, they're they're probably more into things like Spark and and uh, Storm and things like that. So what is what's that relationship like? Right. So so the the, the relationship is a partnership uh, because we sit on top of Hadoop. Uh, all of our customers either have Cloudera or Hortonworks or Mapbar. And of course, on, on the cloud side, uh, Amazon, Azure, and, and so on. So we make sure that our software works seamlessly with any one of those distro. And because we're, we wrote Yarn, we're, we're very clear on how to be very Yarn compliant. And so that, that seamless uh, integration um, is, is pretty easy for us. Um, it is, uh, and so, uh, so we, sometimes we bring them business, sometimes they bring us business. Um, as far as the, uh, Spark, you know, Spark is something that the distros have embraced uh, mostly for, uh, you know, for for other types of data, big data workloads. Uh, you know, Spark is good for machine learning training. Uh, sometimes people use Spark to do to be the SQL engine, uh, and and so on. Um, and and so depending on the use cases, we come in uh, with the distros. Yeah, and and I and I think that you know back into all of our careers we've seen before is when a product is taken outside of its um, area of expertise, uh, it can get itself in a challenge. And so, you know, we don't compete with Spark, but there are a lot of cases where Spark's been pushed to a edge case that it's uncomfortable in. So Spark streaming is sometimes called real time, of which it's not, it's micro batching. Yeah. Um, we actually see the majority, if not all of our customers have what we call a cash stack which is uh, Kafka, Apache, Spark, and Hadoop. Yeah. And so we sit very comfortably into that. The only time we clash with it is where we have a client who swears blind they're doing real time um, and they're, uh, they're wed on Spark. And we literally have to sort of sit them down and explain, no, that might be real time for a dashboard for a person. That's not compute real time. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just, you cannot do that in, in a batch or a micro batch mode. Um, as far as Storm's concerned, you know, it's still a going concern and Hortonworks will support their client base, um, but it's not a forward moving architecture. And so I think that, you know, in reality, uh, there's only a couple of uh, stream based engines out there. And as I say, we, we seem to have a huge amount of traction uh, around what we do, but we don't want to we don't want to provide it to the market in the traditional way of saying, here's some open source. Now, let's be a professional services business around it. We actually want to produce IP that allow people to be dangerous on their own, um, because then that breaks that weird model on the open source side. Yeah, and as good as our engine is, and it's certainly the best one out there because because it, it's very much enterprise grade. In the end, I think the focus for data torrent, as Guy said earlier, is really at the application level. Real time. In, yeah, in real time, because I, I think 
uh, this stuff is hard enough. Um, you know, there will be many people that will just want give me the application I, so I can use it. Because because Apex was one of those things as a means to an end, right? I yeah. mean, at the end of the day, you couldn't do the applications and get to analytics without one. You put it out there, and that's yeah. why we shoved it to open source. You know, and if the market picks it up, great. If another one comes along that's better, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So we're not it's not predicated, but we are the creators of it and it does have some cachet. Yeah. And it seems to have got a huge amount of traction, which is great. But but in reality, you know, I would rather have a, a, a good application store out there with, you know, a company that can pull down a, a pipeline that's industrialized that will support seven by twenty four for them. It solves a specific need. Yeah. So uh, one last thing before we got to go, we are we're well over time and I bet you guys have to go out and do things, uh, dangerous and valuable and, and growing and things like that. Uh, we keep mentioning enterprise grade. I think it's really important to kind of understand that, right? So when yep. you're defining this enterprise grade experience, let us know what that kind of means. And then, um, you know, just let us know kind of your final thoughts as we head out and, and close it down for everybody. That's a, that's a great question. Well, I, I, I'll explain it this way. When you have something running in batch, right? And if the batch job fails, hey, big deal. Just start the job over so you get the result a couple hours later. What's the big deal? When you are running this thing in 24 by 7, when the events are coming in at the level of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of events per second, what does it mean for this, for the, so for a couple nodes to go down? You don't get to restart the job over. There's actually no beginning. In fact, the definition for, for, this, for this piece of technology is very clear. We need to be able to come back in seconds, even with multiple node outages, and come back and self-heal, because at this rate, no human being can even be involved, and come back and, re, you know, and, and pick up from, from checkpointed state in such a way that we will come back as if nothing has happened, as if no outages have happened. And so that's the kind of level grade, the enterprise grade. No data loss, no, um, no reordering loss, come back as if nothing has happened. And furthermore, the application developer doesn't even have to worry about uh, dealing with that. It's all done by the platform itself. You just write code functionally. We take care of the scalability of the real time of the no data loss that kind of flavor yeah and, and any of the customization that they do on the platform in addition is actually uh, the inheritance of that 7 by 24 that's right enterprise grade actually rubs off on their platform as opposed to a piece of code that sits on the side like a sidecar right that's right that's right that yeah. piece of code becomes part of the yeah and, and 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 this was one of those ones that you know if you kind of think about basically hardware dependency on on ruggedization versus software you know in, in essence uh, the way in which Fu uh, described it to me and our customers see it is it's our responsibility to make sure that we cover for any hardware failures. So, That's right. you know, if they accidentally go in and pull a cluster down, um, then we they can't lose state because if you if you take the human out of the middle and it's computer to computer, then um, we have to make sure that we actually have that much ruggedization where it basically self heals. Right. Uh, and so we put an enormous amount of effort into into making sure that we deliver that. And, and I guess final thought on on this is. You know, it's an exciting space. I, I absolutely promise you there is a huge amount of money and opportunity here. Every client is looking for uh, an answer. I hope that they find it within DataTorrent. Uh, I do want to, I, I wanted to be part of the motion uh, of moving people uh, away from, you know, looking at data, which is posthumous to real-time data. Um, and uh, I, I love being on the, on the call with you guys. I miss you tremendously. Um, 
and I think you provide an absolute valuable service. If there was a GoFundMe out there, I'd be sticking some money to get you a new tie. I promise you, Brian. <laughs> wow. I was feeling awesome <laughs> until that exact moment. And I don't, I don't wear ties anymore because that's not very West Coast of me. So, you know, that's, yeah, uh, you I, I need to, I need to update my social media picture and I apologize and thanks for calling me out and making it awkward. Um, so, you know, with that, you know, I'm not going to miss you, but we do, we don't want other people to actually miss you. So where, you know, where do they find, where do they find you? Where do they find more? And, you know, how do they hit you up on Twitter? Those kind of things. What do you want them to do to take action on, on learning more about you? Yeah. I mean, a couple of things. One is obviously I've got a Twitter account out there, which is uh, at Guy Churchward. You can always find me there. A lot of people are on it. Um, website is um, uh, datatorrent.com. Uh, you know, we're up on LinkedIn. Uh, so just, you know, the usual things, you can reach out to us, you can find us really easy. It's a small organization. You know, we're only 50 odd people, uh, half of it's based here in Santa Clara, half of it's only in Pune, uh, Pune. And, um, and it's everything you can possibly imagine, which is an open plan, bunch of hippies that are just trying to do the purest job. And, you know, we're loving life, right? So, um, so everybody does everything. Uh, it's, it's easy to find us. Uh, there's actually uh, sandboxes you can go in and you can download and play with RTS. You can put it on uh, EMR up on Amazon or run it on premise. Uh, we actually have a complete free version that they can download, use all of the tools in production. In fact, you can go into production for free up to 128 gigs um, uh, of Hadoop. So, again, we've got a freemium service on top of that. Um, and uh, uh, everything's kind of downloadable past it. So it's it's very easy to get involved with this and you know, we're more than happy to talk to anybody. Awesome. And uh, the other thing we love to hear from people, it's a fun way to learn a lot more about random things. Doesn't have to be technology related. Um, any book that you might suggest somebody go pick up and learn a little something new from, or what are you reading right now? I, I, I haven't. I haven't even I haven't even learned to write yet. Look, I, I mean, I, I'm known for this internally. His his my books are, are old books. Um, the books I love, Blink, which you should know. Uh, Good to Great, uh, you should know. Um, the Knowing Doing Gap, which you should know, and the No Asshole Rule. Um, and, and I think if you cover that, then anybody who reads that will know me and know how I kind of think. Um, the uh, one thing that you don't know. Uh, which entertained me no end because I'm a car guy, is um, Fu actually calls his car the Batmobile, oh, <laughs> which, which I couldn't believe it. And I've never been in an uglier car in my life. It's, it's a 16-year-old, was it 5 Series BMW? Yeah. And apparently when he bought it, he just watched Batman and he thought it looked like the Batmobile. So so there's, there's something you'll never find out from anybody else. And I'm... I was as a car person I'm, I'm utterly insulted by it but apparently he still calls it his Batmobile. Guy, I'm glad to see that you know um, not only at, at EMC but now at Data Torrent you're still busting balls so keep it up we love you for it. Absolutely. Brian and Brent thank you so much it was great to meet you and uh, enjoyed it very much. Awesome thank you so much for your time uh, on behalf of the Hot Owl I am Brian Carpenter and I'm Brent Piotti. And Boo, Guy, thank you so much. Uh, Appreciate everything you taught us, but please don't come back. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.